Glad you guys are with us this morning. We are on week number three of a series that we've been doing here at Ignite called Unshakable, Standing Up in a Bowed Down World. And throughout this series, we're, we're taking a look at the first six chapters in the Old Testament book of Daniel, and we're kind of walking through it. This is a book that was written 2,600 years ago, and yet is incredibly relevant and precise and speaks to us in today's day and age. Uh, today, it speaks into our lives, speaks into your life about the kind of... Uh, uh, lives that we are meant to live and about how to, how to continue to, to uh, have unshakable kind of faith in a world that sometimes is a little bit heading in a different direction. We'll say it that way, right? <laughs> and uh, I, three weeks ago, we kind of did, or two weeks ago, we did kind of an intro and we just uh, looked at Daniel chapter one. We talked about living lives that are resolved, right? Resolved saying, I'm I'm standing up and I'm standing out for God when needed, right? I'm going to stand with him come what may, right? And we're going to see that a little bit more uh, today. We talked about sort of the dangers of, well, we talked about some of the similarities between Babylon, which is the, the culture in which the book of Daniel is written, and today's day and age. We talked about um, the dangers of living in a, what we call a friendly captivity, right? In which we're kind of lulled to sleep, like enjoying ourselves in the, in the world and the culture around us. Not that there's anything wrong with enjoying ourselves, but we end up being swept away by the values, by sometimes unbiblical values by sometimes things that we just accept as normal uh, rather than being shaped and transformed and led uh, by God and his truth and his wisdom. And we talked about some of the dangers that last week we talked about uh, standing uh, when we're asked to do the impossible. And you might remember some of the story, right? Uh, Daniel chapter two, uh, where the king says, okay, here's the thing. Um, I had a dream. It's been disturbing me. So I need you to tell me both the dream and then interpret it for me. And if you can't, I'm going to kill you. Like that was the that was the task, and so we talked about what we looked at what he did, how he lived, and how we can learn to stand um, even when there are impossible sort of odds against us and tasks before us. And today we're going to look at Daniel chapter three. We're going to talk about standing in the fires of our lives, uh, and so we're going to do that standing in the fire. Uh, and I just was thinking this week and saying, it, you know, we're not talking, the story is going to talk about uh, a literal fire and we're going to talk about that. And I'm using it a little bit more metaphorical and just saying, man, there are times in our lives when we go through hard seasons, aren't there, where we experience the fire. Some of us may be uh, in a season like that right now, and we are just going through really hard stuff, and it's painful, and it's excruciating. It's nothing we would ever pray for or desire, and yet we'll see, uh, as we read through this story, we'll see God in, in the midst of it, and the way that God rescues, even in the fire itself. Uh, I remember hearing somebody say one time, you know, one thing is for certain, either you're, a, you're uh, living in the fire right now, uh, you just came out of a season where you're experiencing the fire, or on the horizon, you're heading into a season where you will experience fire. And it's true. Like, all of us have things like that that we experience, right? It could be a financial fire of some kind, and the, the, the screws are just getting turned on you, and you're like, man, I don't know. I, you know, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, and you're like, I'm, I'm not sure how this is all going to work out. This is just crazy hard. It could be a health-related fire, right? And you're getting doctors uh, that are giving you diagnoses and things, and it's a fire. It's excruciating and painful, and you're not sure how. It's, it could be a family kind of thing. Maybe there's something with your kids or your spouse or whatever else. There's a relational fire of some kind, and it's painful, and you're crying out, wondering, where is God? He's not coming through in the ways that you thought he should, in the ways that you thought he would. And there's fire. It could be with your job or lack thereof. It could be all kinds of things. But all of us 
go through the fire at some time or another, right? We go through pain and confusion, and we feel sifted and tested and challenged, and we ask hard questions. We wonder where God is at. And I have to say, if that's you, if you resonate with that, if you're in a season where you're like, man, this, is, this has been a really hard season, or maybe you're coming out of it, or maybe you don't even know it yet, but you're headed there in the future, I'm, I think Daniel chapter 3 has some great stuff to teach us and some great stuff uh, to speak to us about learning to stand in the midst of a fire. And we're, gonna, we're going to, uh, to learn some lessons from three teenage boys who are uh, kind of thrown into the big leagues, right? This is, this is a moment where uh, they have to stand up and they have to decide how they're going to... Teenage boys, they're faced with probably the hardest decision and the hardest choice in the hardest season uh, of their entire lives. And so uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up to, uh, to Daniel chapter 3. Um, and uh, we're just going to kind of read through it. And I'm going to stop and comment as we go through. I'm just going to let God's word sort of speak for itself. Uh, quick reminder, last week we talked about, right, uh, we talked about the king's dream. And Daniel, Daniel, like I just said, God gave it to him and gave him the interpretation, all that kind of stuff. But who remembers, for those of you that were here last week, who remembers what the dream was about? The dream was about uh, a statue. And the head was made of, and the, the upper torso or whatever you call that was made like was made of what silver remember this and like the mid part of the stomach and stuff was made out of bronze and the legs were made out of iron and the feet were made out of iron and clay see you guys were paying attention good for you that's awesome so here's here's the thing uh God ends up saying through this interpretation that he gives to Daniel, he says, you know, those are like, those are like the different empires that are coming. He's giving the king a snapshot of the future. And he says, your kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon is like the head and you, oh great king, are like the head of gold. It's great. It's mighty. It's, it's all this kind of stuff. And then the kingdom's coming after you. And you know, then another one, and you know, kind of goes on down and says, that, but the feet are going to be brittle. And so it'll eventually topple over. And, and it's, it's painting a picture of the future. But then he ends by saying, and then there was, there's a greater kingdom that's coming, right? This kingdom is going to uh, kind of overtake the other previous kingdoms and empires, and this kingdom will last forever. This kingdom will never be overthrown, and the kingdom he's talking about is the kingdom of, kingdom of God, right? Kingdom of God. And so that's sort of the picture. Well, here, we're going to pick it up. I mean, you, you end Daniel chapter 2, and after this miraculous uh, uh, the fact that da- God gives uh, Daniel both the dream and the interpretation, an impossible task. Uh, the king ends up praising God and saying, this is awesome. There's, he says, there is no God like yours, right? He is, the, he is the king of, or he's the God of gods, and he's the Lord of kings, and he's the revealer of mysteries. And you end chapter 2 going, I think he's starting to get it. I mean, I think Nebuchadnezzar's starting to get a little snapshot of, of the living God, of who he is, and the fact that there is only one God. And so you, you, you turn to chapter 3, and in, in the meantime, scholars think maybe 15, 16, 17 years have passed between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. And let's take a snapshot, let's take a little glimpse and see, does Nebuchadnezzar really remember all that he learned in chapter 2? <laughs> we'll start there. Daniel 3, starting with verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. It's 90 feet tall, about nine feet wide. And set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So 
You ready for this? The satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other uh, provincial officials assembled for the declaration of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Does that sound like a good thing or a bad thing? Right? Yeah, not, not good. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all, the, all, all kinds of music, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All right, you kind of get the picture here, right? More than 15 years have gone by since the king's dream. And for those of you that were here last week, uh, right? This, we, we talked about that the, the head uh, in the dream was, was gold, and it represented Babylon. It rep- represented the king. And the king starts believing his own press. Fifteen years have gone by. He's like, I don't see no silver king, right? I don't see no bronze king. I don't see no iron king. I must be the enduring king. And the endu- I mean, this must be the enduring kingdom. We're going to live forever. So I'm going to, he's, he's pretty much saying, so I'm basically like a god. Like, I got this, right? He's, a little inflated ego on this guy, you think? So he's like, man, I'm, I'm going to build, uh, I'm going to build a huge statue so everybody can come and admire my splendor. So that everybody can come and worship me. So that everybody can come and just see just how great I am. <laughs> he's projecting an image, isn't he? He's, he's, he's putting himself on the pedestal. He's saying, man, I am so great. Now, remember back to week one, we said the primary value of Babylon was it's all about me. So he's living out this value. I am and there is none beside me, he's saying, right? I am great. There is, there is nobody on this earth as great as me. And so I'm going to put up the statue so that everybody can come and worship. It's going to be awesome. And I think, man, uh, if I can pause for just one second, step back and say, now, I won't say that any of us are as uh, egotistical as that we would build a 90-foot statue of ourselves, right, kind of thing. But I do have to say, uh, you think you ever try to project an image that's a little better than what you really are? I mean, I, if I were to say this, do you think it would be fair to call us the selfie culture? Well, what is that about? It, we're, we're taking snapshots and we're posting them for thousands of friends to see to say, oh, you're so pretty and you're so strong and you're so good. Now, you might have gone through 500 and deleted them <laughs> before you posted that one, but you're projecting an image. We do this all the time, don't we? We're saying, man, look how great I am. Now, I, is there anything wrong with posting a picture of yourself? I'm, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm like, boy, this kind of mentality still lives today. Have have you ever tried to project something that's a little bit better or a little bit uh, bigger than reality warrants? I think we do it all the time. We talked about, and we've been talking about, as Christ followers, as God followers for the last 6,000 years, this is a, a value that is countercultural because while, while the kingdom of Babylon in the story that we're reading paints a picture of, of lifting ourselves up and, and, and doing what pleases us and being like, man, we are so great. God followers and Christ followers lift up the glory and reflect the greatness of another. 
our lives, in fact, the purpose for our creation is to reflect the goodness and the greatness and the love and the power of our Savior and our God, not ourselves. And in fact, no offense, but in comparison, you're not that great. He's way better than you. He's way better than me. And our lives are to be about his image and his glory and his power, right? Yeah. Truth be told, though, I think some of us, maybe all of us in one way or another, uh, need to come back and say, maybe we're not as bad as the king, but maybe we have our, our lives really are a little bit more about putting the spotlight on, spotlight on me than they should be. And maybe this morning as we start out, maybe we just need to start out and just say, God, I'm sorry. My life is meant to be about you and not about me. Would you teach me to live that out in the real world? Which, instead of 10,000 selfies about how awesome I am and, and whatever else, maybe I should be finding ways to reflect you to a world that desperately needs to know the love and grace and power and goodness of God. Maybe, maybe my lips, instead of talking about myself so much, maybe more and more of the words that come out of my mouth should be focused on how great you are. Let's keep going in the story. Back to Daniel. Uh, verse 8 says this. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever, to which I say, suck ups, right? May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everybody who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews... <clears throat> whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. All right, let's do a little, uh, let's do a little test here. I want everybody to stand up. Everybody go ahead and stand up with me for a moment. Um, I don't know if you caught this in, the, in, in verse 1, but the whole scene takes place on the plains of Dura. Anybody know anything about what a plain is? Flat. It's flat. In fact, here's a picture of it. It's pretty flat. Now imagine at the beginning, at the, uh, you know, on the one side of this, a 90-foot tall statue and people from all over the kingdom that are standing up there and the, and the command is given, okay, when, when you hear, when the band starts to play, you're all going to bow down and worship. Okay, so everybody sit down. Go ahead and sit down. If somebody didn't sit down, you think it'd be obvious? You think you could see him on the plains of Dura? If, if there were three people standing, it wasn't rocket science. Everybody could kind of look around and be like, hey, they're not, they're not getting in line. They're not just kind of going with what, what we're supposed to be doing here. They're not just going the way of Babylon. They're not going with the flow. They're not going with the culture. And everybody knew it. So these guys come and they say, hey, king, they're not bowing down. They're basically saying, it, it's time. Like, heat up the furnace, baby. Let's get this thing going. Like, let's, let's burn on me, they're saying. Which, to which you say, man, what kind of people are those anyway? <laughs> like, but anyway, like, okay. okay. So, so this is going on. There are only three that day. It's interesting. Up to this point, we've heard a lot about Daniel, right? Daniel, uh, it says at the end of chapter two, was at his post. So he was actually not in the plains of Dura that day. So that left the other three that we hear about in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are their Babylonian names that were given to them. But those are the only three there. And uh, 
and these three young teenage boys, they hear the instructions and they know, they're like, we can't do it. I mean, they, they know, remember, remember we talked about their names, their, their Hebrew names were Hananiah, uh, Ezariah, and Mishael. They mean, the Lord shows grace, the Lord helps, and who is like the Lord? These are three young men who know the Lord. They love the Lord. Their lives have been spent trying to live for his glory, trying to live for his honor. These are young men that likely had a bunch of the Old Testament memorized by the time they were in their teenage years. They had books of the Bible memorized. They, they'd recite them and go over them. They've been taken out of their homes, out of their culture, th- taken into exile. And there's this moment where they, they say, you know, okay, it's time. Everybody bow down and worship this idol. And you know what's going through their heads? They're like, we can't. They know it's in the top 10, right? The big God's big 10, the 10 commandments. You're to have no other gods before me. You you should worship the Lord your God and serve him only, only. And they're like, we cannot bow. And so this happens, the, the call goes out, the band starts to play. And can you imagine? I bet their knees were knocking a little bit, right? Like, oh gosh, everybody bows down and there's three. They're standing up and, and uh, they're like, oh man, King, Something's going on. I, 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 okay, I have to say, uh, I in all give credit where credit's due. I, I keep um, as we're going through the series, I'm listening to uh, three different podcasts. One of them is Beth Moore has done some phenomenal teaching uh, on on Daniel. If you ever get a chance to go through the study, you should do it. It's awesome. But I, I got a couple of these things from her. It got she got me thinking on this. But she spent a fair amount of time talking about um, the fact that Daniel was missing. And she talked about, I mean, up until this point in the book of Daniel, Daniel has been the strong one, right? He's been the one that's full of faith. He was the one that stood up when when they were going to be forced to eat food that was sacrificed to idols and all that kind of stuff. And he said, no, I'm not doing it. I, like, put me to the test. He said it respectfully. We remember we talked about this. But he's like, no, I'm going to stand. And then, and then Shad, Jack, and Mo were like, oh, yeah, we're standing too, right? <laughs> I mean, they were, they were sort of the, the ones that kind of followed Daniel's example. And up until this point, that's been when God gave uh, somebody the dream, who did he give it to? He gave it to Daniel, right? And, and, and that kind of thing. So this is a moment, and it's significant, where these guys are without their leader. They're without the strong one. They're, they're without the, the kind of faithful example that they've come to expect and rely on. And it's, it now is, it's the moment for them where they have to choose. Are we willing to step up? Are we willing to stand up and stand out? Or will we just get swept away with culture? Will we just kind of go the way of Babylon? You know, they could have rationalized it in their own minds. You know, rational lies, right? We could, we could say, well, we could bow down just not to make waves, but in our hearts, we really, but, but they, knew, they knew better. They're like, no, we, this is where we take the stand. I was thinking about, uh, like I said, that, that whole being without Daniel kind of thing this weekend. I thought, man, that's, that's a good word for some of us. Some of us have been around others that are spiritually stronger. We're kind of used to that. We're used to other people kind of being our, our spiritual mentors and our, the, the, kind of our heroes that we look up to. And so it's easy when somebody else takes the first stand, it's easy to kind of step in and stand up next behind them and next to them and say, yeah, that's right, kind of thing. And yet I, I have to say, man, sometimes... Uh, the absence of the strong one in, in our midst is an opportunity and maybe even a, a calling from the living God for you to step up, right? I mean, if you're, if, if you're put in this kind of situation and this, there's nobody around that's, that's standing, it's you, right? I mean, you're, you're meant to be the strong one. Maybe it's time that God's saying, it's time for you to stand up. I mean, yes, I know, man, it would be great if your spouse would come in and would save the day with these 
uh, the kids and the problems you're having at home, but maybe it's you. And God's saying, would you, would you step up and would you start leading spiritually in your home? I know you prefer your wife would do it or you prefer your husband would do it or you prefer somebody at the church would do it or somebody else. But maybe this is an opportunity where God's calling you forward and saying, it's time for you to take a stand. It's time for you to lead your home spiritually. Or maybe, you know, it could be at work, right? And maybe you work in an environment and there are no other Christ followers there. And it's pretty easy to just want to keep your head down, right? And kind of avoid this stuff. But maybe there's, maybe there's something that, you know, like it, what they're asking me to do, I can't do. I, I, I can't do it. It would dishonor my God and it would just dishonor whatever. And so maybe it's you. Maybe God's saying it's time for you to step up and for you to stand out, to, for you to put your faith into practice. Not just lip service, but life service, right? Standing up. Maybe it's time for you to kind of stand up. Who knows? It could be all kinds of things. Could be at school. Maybe everybody else is going the way of Babylon. They're just kind of going along with whatever is best for themselves. And, and it's tough to live there, right? It's tough to live in that environment as a Christ follower. And you're looking around, you're like, nobody else is standing. What am I supposed to do? And maybe God's saying, it's you. It's time for you to take a stand. It's time for you to step up. It's time for you uh, to make a choice. It's your turn. Will you stand or will you bow down and go the way of Babylon? It doesn't take a 90-foot statue to bring this decision to our doors, does it? We're faced with decisions like this all the time, every day. Will we go down the path of bitterness or anger or despair or lust or self-pity or whatever? Will we, will we go that way or will we stand against it? Will we bow down to the gods of our culture, the gods of materialism, the gods of self-absorption, whatever is best for me and mine, that's the way I'm going to live. Just whatever's good for me, bring, you know, give me more, 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 more. Or will we take a stand and say, you know, my life isn't really about me. My life really isn't about more, 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 more. My life is, I, I exist to bring glory and praise to God. And I believe and I live out his way really is best for me in, in the end anyway. It really is best for the kingdom. It's best for the world. It's best for my family. And so I'm betting it all. I'm walking with him. I'm going with him. I'm following him. The question is, will we stand? Will we stand up and stand out even when everybody else around us falls? There are some hills, there are some moments that are worth dying for. That's what these three young men find out. Moments when we have to say like the old hymn, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Right? I'm, I'm all in God. For Shadshak and Mo, this is one of those moments. They cannot dishonor their God. It's unthinkable to them. They cannot worship another God. They can't even fudge it or pretend it or rationalize it away. They know they can't. And so they stand up even when everybody else has fallen down. Verse 13 will go on. It says this. So, so they take the stand, and they, uh, the, uh, the scoundrels go back to the king and say, they're not following the rules, right, kind of thing. Verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, gave them another opportunity, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you did not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, yeah, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. 
But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately. What do you think immediately means, by the way? Right now. You'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you uh, from my hand? Which, <laughs> there's some irony coming here, right? But then what, what God would be able to rescue you from my hand? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, I want you to say those words with me, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Can I just say, there's so much I like about this passage. <laughs> there's so much to like. Verse 17, man. Our God is able to deliver us from your hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, we will not bow before, before your God. We will not worship your image. They're betting it all on God. They're, they're, they're all in, right? They're taking all their chips, and they're like, boom, we're putting all this stuff in. Even if he doesn't, we would still choose to stand with him. Even if it doesn't work out the way we want it to, we would still choose to stand with him and we would not bow. Love this. We should underline that in our Bibles. We should write it on post-it notes on our mirrors. I mean, we could use so much of that kind of unshakable faith in our lives, couldn't we? Man, that's the good stuff right there. Willing to stand in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the test, in the midst of injustice. How we need that kind of resolve in our world today. God is, a I believe with all my heart that God is able to deliver me no matter what. But even if he doesn't, I will not go the way of Babylon. I will not just get swept along with culture. I'm standing for God. I'm standing with God for better or for, for worse. Here I stand, right? I can do no other. Man, how we need that in our world. Let me give you some examples, just things that I was thinking, of, thinking about, things that I hear in our culture these days, things like this. But if you don't sleep with her before you're married, what would happen if you're not sexually compatible, right? Well, then you'd be stuck in a prudish relationship for the rest of your lives. Man, how we could use people that would, said, that, that, that would stand and say, my God is able to take care of that, and even if he does not, I will not bow. How we could use people when, when, when we're pressured and we're wrestling and we say, I don't, I don't know about all this tithing and all this giving to God stuff and putting him first in our lives, in our finances and all that. I mean, what would happen if after we give to God, you get to the end of the month and you don't have enough money? You'd have to be an idiot to give that, that kind of money to God first. Why would you do that kind of thing? How we need people that would say, my God is able to, to make all grace abound. He's able to bless and provide abundantly beyond all we ask or imagine. But even if he does not, I'm still standing with him. I'm still standing with him. Or there's all kinds of stuff going on. We've got baseball games with our kids. We've got weekend trips. Work is killing us. Sunday's the one day that we can sleep in and just kind of take it easy, right? Who has time to go to church and that kind of stuff? How we need people that say, you know what? God is worthy of my worship. He's worthy of my time. Not to mention, he's the best time manager, financial manager, life manager there is, period, right? But even, but even if he'll help me to prioritize and, and, and get done what I need to get done and let go of some of the other stuff, but even if he does not, I'm standing with him. I'm all in with him. 
This is where I stand. I can do no other. I will not bow. Do you see what we're saying? Do you see what we're talking about here? Man, how we need those same kind of attitudes in our own lives. Because we are tempted day after day after day to compromise our faith, to bow down to the values of our culture, the me-centered universe. We get swept away and sometimes even beat down trying to get us to, to bow down, to blend in, to be politically correct, to wash away God's truth and wisdom a little bit at a time, just sort of watering it down and taking it away just a little bit at a time. But man, I'd, I'd rather be remembered for standing out and standing with God than to be forgotten and swept away for nothing, right, by Babylon to a culture that's washing away and that will one day fall before the kingdom of God. We cannot bow, these young men say. We will not bow. Our God can intervene in any fire, but even if he does not, they say, I'm still siding with him. I'm still standing with him. I am resolved. It is done. The decision is made, they say. And so let's see how that turns out for him. <laughs> Verse 19, right? Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I bet he was. His attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shad, Shack, and Mo and throw him into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Now, just for perspective, the furnace that was there was likely the same one that they used to build the gold statue, right? It's, it would be the, the, the furnace that's off, often an, uh, like a, what do you call that, hourglass shape or whatever, uh, kind of furnace that they'd use to melt gold. Gold melts at 1,948 degrees, They'd liquefy it, pour it into some sort of a mold kind of thing for the statue. That's what they would use. So I, I'm not a, when, when the, when the uh, king says, I want to heat it up seven times hotter uh, than usual, I'm not sure that's reality, but it's kind of hyperbole, right? He's saying, I want this thing to go as hot as it can possibly go. And it was hot. It was so hot that these, his strongest soldiers who tie them up and go to toss them into the flames, they end up dying because it's so hot. They get, they get consumed by the flames. It's crazy. So hot. Even the guards that threw these three boys into the fire, they end up being overcome by the heat. This is one of those crazy moments. And, and it's weird for us as we're reading because if you've been around the church or whatever you were ever in Sunday school, you might have heard this story before. And, and it's easy for us because we know how the story ends. So we, we jump ahead in our minds. But I want you to think about that for a moment. They didn't know how the story was going to end. Right? And so, and so they get, I mean, at this moment, they're tied up. They're thrown into the furnace. What do they think is going to happen? They probably think they're going to die, right? They know God's able, but at this point, God didn't rescue them. They're thrown into the fire. What naturally happens when you get thrown into a fire, you would, you'd probably die, right? I mean, that kind of a thing. It would be easy for them at that moment to think, God didn't come through for us. We, st we took a stand with him. We took a stand for him, and he abandoned us. It would be easy to feel that way. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Because sometimes God rescues us, even in the midst of the fire. Listen to this, verse 24. 
says, then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, wait a minute, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? You think he didn't know? <laughs> He's just checking his math here. Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, well, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Literally, it depend- you can translate this a lot of ways, but literally, the translation is, He's, uh, he looks like, the fourth looks like either a son of God or the son of God. I prefer the latter translation. The fourth man in the fire, who do you think it was? It was Jesus there in the midst. And can I pause just for a moment and just say, man, for those of us that feel like we're going through a fire these days, that feel like we are going through a hard time, I think there's an encouraging word here. Because even when our prayers haven't been answered the way we thought they should, even when things weren't going well, man, there's a fourth man in the furnace. It's Jesus, the Son of God. He is there with you. He is able to save. He is able to rescue, sometimes in unexpected sort of ways. But he is present. Just remind us, it just goes hand in hand with this. But Isaiah 43, this has a beautiful picture. And I'm like, this is the the same kind of picture as Daniel 3. It says this. It says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, uh, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Listen to this. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Sometimes I think the answer to suffering and the answer uh, to why we're enduring uh, the fire and, and all that kind of stuff, there's not a good answer to that, but there, there is a good answer of the presence of God is with us, even in the fire. He will never betray you. He will never abandon you. He is with us always. Even when our prayers haven't been answered in the way we think they should, he is with us in the fire. And I wonder if some of us just need to be reminded of that today. Let's finish it up here. Verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most uh, uh, most high God, come out of there. Come here. Now, I do think that's a little bit interesting. I'll just pause parenthetically. Because how many people are in the fire? Four. Four. How many does he invite to come out? <laughs> yeah, he's sort of like, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out here. You that looks like the son of God, I think maybe you should stay put, right? Like, I'm, I'm not so sure I want you to come out here. I'm not, I'm not really sure what I think about that, but I want, you know, the three of you, come on out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed them harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent an angel and rescued his servants. Not exactly an angel, but he gets the idea. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
uh, be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. <laughs> he kind of gets the right idea and kind of misses it entirely. It <laughs> like, yeah. says, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. The, king, the king's response to anything that God does is to promote them. Right? He doesn't know what else to do. Get a raise, right? Here's a raise and a new position and a post. It's a sign of kind of God's blessing couple more comments just here and then and then we'll kind of wrap up for the day but I just love the imagery that's going on throughout this story I think it's interesting uh, to know what was the only thing that was flammable on Shadrach Meshach and Abednego anybody the ropes that bound them and uh, again I can't say this is true every time and all that but man how often and I just thought this was interesting so often uh, we find ourselves in the midst of the fire and God uses the fire to free us not to burn us right and I think it's, it's the, the, the very idea of that man we will pray that God will not take us that way we do not want to go in the fire we will do everything we can to avoid the, the hard times in life and yet so often it is those very moments that God, that God uses to free us and to bring us to life in him to draw us closer to him I just think man there's something good there that we need to hear this morning Sometimes he frees us from people-pleasing kinds of things and teaches us to live for the pleasure of the one that made us, the one that saved us, the one that has great plans in store for us, the one that has loved us with an everlasting love. Sometimes he frees us in the flames from a me-centered universe and opens our eyes to the glory of living in a God-centered universe to discover the life that we were born for. He does all kinds of things, but sometimes he uses the fire to bring us freedom. Another thing that's interesting to me, Beth Moore spends a, a bit of time talking about this. Again, great stuff. But it talks about the whole thing that the, these three young men come out of the flames, and, uh, and they, she makes a comment says, they didn't even smell like smoke. And I think that's just fascinating, isn't it? Have you been around fires before? Anybody like to have campfires and stuff? Not like when it's 100 degrees out, but like in the fall or something. We do. We do this quite often. We've got a little fire pit. We'll get around. I'll, it never ceases to amaze me when you're around a, like you have campfire. You come inside, what do you smell like? You go to bed and your hair touches the pillow. What does your pillow smell like? Smoke for days. Like my coat, I'll get my coat out of the closet a week later and it still smells like smoke, right? Even, even if you're 10, 15, 20 feet away, you still smell like smoke. It's amazing how that, that kind of works, and it sticks with you. You can smell it. You shampoo your hair, and you're like, ew, I can still smell it. Right? It still smells like smoke or whatever. It's, it's crazy. But that kind of smoke, it just it sort of absorbs and it consumes. And I just think there's, it's an interesting picture here, right, where probably everybody around this furnace, the king, what does he probably smell like? Smoke, you know, his satraps, prefects, you know, advisors, all these kind of people. What do they probably smell like? Smoke. Probably a bunch of people in the crowd. They probably smell like smoke. These guys were in the flames, and they walk out, and they're like, they, we can't even tell they were in there. Like, how is that even possible? They don't even smell like smoke. And I just was thinking, man, so often I think that's the case because that's what God does, right? I, 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 like, have you ever met a, a couple that uh, has, like, an awesome marriage, and you think, in your mind, you're thinking, oh, they probably have always had the sickening fairy tale romance, and they're just all perfect, and right, all this kind of stuff, and he swept her off her feet, and she just adores him, and it's amazing, that kind of thing. And then later, you hear a story, and you find out, man, it wasn't always that way. You, you, you hear a story about, man, there were times where 
trust was broken and where maybe they were just coasting and their marriage was getting worse and worse or their words were wrecking each other and God broke in and he rescued and he transformed and he salvaged this marriage and brought something beautiful out of it. And, and you hear stories like that and you step back and you think, man, I didn't know. I would have never known. I would have never guessed that. You're like, they don't even smell like smoke. Or like sometimes we used to see this a lot like up in Wisconsin. We had, I've shared before, we had, we had a huge recovery ministry. We've seen some of that here too, but where people were addicted to drugs or alcohol or that kind of stuff. And uh, so we'd have people that would share their testimonies all the, time, all the time when they're getting baptized. And people's jaws would drop when they'd hear their stories. And they'd be like, I had no idea. God had rescued them and changed them and transformed them. They don't even smell like smoke. Right? I would have never guessed and I love that because that's what God does. God is able to so drastically transform our lives. The people around us, their jaws would drop if they knew the reality of our lives and how good our God is because we don't even smell like smoke. Now, again, it's a journey, right? Some of us smell smokier in some areas of our lives than other, and others are, you know, we all kind of have our own stuff, and so I'm not expecting perfection or whatever. But I just think that's a cool thing. That's, that's part of the way God redeems and God heals and God transforms. He does a work in our lives so that we don't even smell like smoke. One more uh, thought. Um, I thought this was crazy. In fact, I don't do this often, but even as I was sharing with Tina about it yesterday, I started tearing up and choking up and stuff. I can hardly talk. But uh, I thought this one was powerful. Daniel chapter 3 is uh, where we say goodbye to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We never hear of them again. They're not mentioned again in the book of Daniel. They're not really mentioned again anywhere in God's book. And uh, I just think it's so interesting to step back and get a picture of how they go out. Listen to this. Uh, I'm going to reread verses uh, 28 through 30 and a little bit before that, but uh, just of, again, just look at how, how they're left, the picture we're left with of Shadrach and Mo at the end of Daniel chapter 3. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands. They were willing to give up their lives rather than to serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, he says, I decree uh, that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut to pieces, their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach and Mo in the province of Babylon. Here's what I was struck by this week. These young men went out standing for and living for, even willing to die for, the glory and the fame of their God. They're like, I'm betting it all on him. And then they bow out, they, t- they bow out, and, the rest, and, and just let the rest of the book, the rest of everything be about how great their God is. At the end of their lives, the, the people that were around them, including this king, has nothing to say about but how great their God is. I'm like, man, I don't know about you, but that's how I want to go out. I want to go out standing with God, standing on his truth, standing and, and reflecting his greatness and his love and his truth to every person around me. I want them to see more of him than they do of me. When, when my life is done, I don't want people up eulogizing about me. I want them to talk about how great my God is. 
Wouldn't that be amazing? And then, and then bow out and move on. There's something so right on about that where they've embraced their calling. They're not building a statue and making a name for themselves. They have, are burning up in a good way, right? They're letting the Holy Spirit set them on fire to reflect and bring glory to the God who made them, the God who saved them, the God who they love with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. How I long for us to live that way. How I long for me to be all in like that, willing to stand no matter what, willing to follow. And at, at, the, end of, at the end of my days, at the end of my story, that God would be the one that would receive the praise. That God would be the one that would be lifted up and praised, even by people who don't get it fully. <laughs> even by the people around me, they're like, yay, nobody should... You know, anybody who doesn't worship their God should be cut into pieces. <laughs> no, you don't get it at all. But, but people even that don't get it are still praising God. Well, this series has been a little bit different than the uh, kind of the way I typically preach and the way I typically teach. We're just kind of walking through this book, opening up the Bible and reading through it because I just believe God has so much to say to us in these words. We're trying to let him speak for himself on this kind of stuff. And maybe today, uh, maybe God's nudging you in one way or another. There's a whole bunch of stuff we've hit today. Maybe today he's nudging you and saying, it's time to take a stand. Maybe the truth be told, you've been bowing down to the values and the culture of this world. You've been maybe trying to live for your own glory or your own pleasure. You've been making a name for yourself. Selfie, selfie, selfie. Look how great I am. Again, nothing wrong, so don't... If you want to send emails, send them to Mark. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. But right now, but like maybe we're spending our lives just on, on just the values of this culture. And maybe today God's saying, you know what? You have been swept away and drug along. Maybe it's time for you to stand up. If there's no strong one, if there's no other one around you, maybe this is your chance. Maybe today the living God is speaking and saying, it's time for you to stand up and to say, no, I... I will not bow. I can't bow because my life is about the glory of another. It's about his truth. It's about his plans. It's about his kingdom. I can't do that. I cannot bow. And my God is able to save me. But even if he doesn't, here I stand. I can do no other. Maybe today God is saying, it's time for you to stand up. Right? Maybe at work, maybe in your home, maybe in your relationships, maybe in, in an area of sin. You've just been letting yourself get drugged along and maybe God say, no, today you stand up and you say, no, I'm following Jesus. I'm walking with him. I'm all in. Here I stand. I can do no other. It's your choice. It's your time. It's your life. It's time for you to stand up. Maybe you're in a season right now where you really feel like the fire is, is all around you and the heat is on and you're, you're just dragging butt, right? You feel like, man, the weight is on you and nothing is going right. There's fire all around you and you feel like it's more than you can bear. Maybe you're battling discouragement. Maybe God isn't coming through and answering your prayers the way you want him to. Maybe you've been wounded again and again and again. You just don't know how much more you can take. Maybe the fires are of your own making. And, right, I mean, you've made some stupid choices, and now you're reaping the consequences of it. And even in the midst of it, you're like, this is more than I can bear. And maybe today, in the midst of that fire, in the midst of that, you need to be reminded of a couple things. Maybe you need to be reminded this morning that there's a fourth man in the furnace. Right, that even in those times when it, 
when things seem hopeless, Jesus Christ is there with you. He is present. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you or abandon you. He is there if you just turn to him. He's present, and he is, he is a God that is able to save. He's able to save, sometimes save us from the fire, and sometimes he saves us in the fire. But he is able to save and rescue and work in ways that are amazing, that are jaw-dropping. He's working. Maybe you need to be reminded that even in the fire, maybe today he's working to free you and not to fry you. Right? He's working to, to release you from, from things that have been dogging you your whole life. And he wants to restore you and transform you so that you don't even smell like smoke. Maybe we need to be reminded of that today. Maybe the truth, truth be told, we've been living a little bit like Nebuchadnezzar in one way. And it's been all about... Ah, me, right? All about my favorite subject. Oh. And maybe the truth be told, maybe, maybe today what God's speaking to you is, you know what, you can do that your whole life and it'll just be a waste. Because the life that you're born for, the life, the life that is truly life, doesn't come from building an image. It doesn't come from making a name for ourselves. Life begins when we bow down, but not to a statue, not to ourselves and our own desires, but when we bow down and open up our hearts and lives to the one who saved us, the one who made us, the one who wants to lead and guide and be our God and our King. And maybe today you're here and maybe that's Maybe you've never done that before, and today you just need to open up your heart and life and say, Jesus, I need you. <laughs> I've tried it my own way. I've tried to be my own king. I've tried to live for myself, and it got me nowhere. So today, God, I just want to lay it down before, lay my life down before you and say, would you forgive me for going my own way? Would you forgive me for pushing you away and trying to just do it on my own? I need you. Would you come and save me and forgive me for my sin? And would you come and be my God and lead me from this? With your help, I want to follow you. I want to stand with you from this point forward. If you have never done that, I can't explain it. Best decision you could ever possibly make. If you've never done it before, do it today. Or maybe you're here today and you just need to, just need to kind of go on record between you and God and say, you know what, I want the rest of my life to be lived for the glory and the pleasure and the honor of the God who made me, the God who saved me. God, I'm all in. I stand with you. I stand for you. Lead and all follow. I am yours. Friends, whatever God may be speaking to you today, uh, that's my prayer in my heart, that we would have hearts and lives that are wide open, that we could learn to stand and to follow even in the fire. Let's close in prayer. God, that's our cry. Would you come and do that in us today? Forgive us for, for going our own way. Forgive us for making life all about me and as if I'm so great, as if we're so great. Instead of fixing our eyes and organizing our lives around the greatness of you, the pleasure of you, the glory of you, and your good plans and your good kingdom in our lives. Would you forgive us? Would you wash us? Would you cleanse us? Would you make us new? And would you lead us forward? With your help, God, we want to follow. We want to be those new creations that don't even smell like smoke. 
God, for those of us that are in the fire right now, that are going through hard stuff, uh, I pray, God, that you'd open our eyes to see and know the fourth man in the furnace, that we could know and sense and feel even your presence with us and your peace and your power. I pray, God, uh, that you would, even in the midst of these hard seasons, that you would free us from the stuff that binds us and lead us into the, into the, I don't know, shape us into the people that you have longed for us to become and you've made us to be. In all these things, God, we want to live for the glory and the honor of you. So come and do that in us. Teach us to stand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.